Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, we're talking about the Key's recent report on the challenges of school business management during COVID-19. We're joined by Stephen Morales, CEO of the Institute of School Business Leadership, and the Key's very own Head of Market Research, Nicola West-Jones. This report compares research we did into the role of SBM before Christmas with a survey that we did over the summer to fully understand the impact of COVID-19 on school business professionals. We discussed the main findings around things like hours, workload and well-being, changes to the role, recognition from colleagues. Finally, we consider some recommendations and ideas coming out of the report for the future and we end with lots of love and appreciation for the tireless people who are doing this work in our schools. As ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, and today I am joined by Nicola West-Jones, who is Head of Market Research at The Key, and Stephen Morales, who is the CEO at the Institute for School Business Leadership and a big friend of the podcast. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hi there. So today we're talking about The Key's recent report on the challenges of school business management during COVID-19. Um, so Nicola's going to talk to us a little bit about the, the findings and we're going to hear some, some thoughts and reflections from Stephen as we go. So without further ado, uh, let's kick off. And Nicola, can you tell us a little bit about, about how this report came about and, 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 and how the research was carried out? Yeah, sure. So we this actually has a bit of a history behind it, this piece of work. Uh, we started thinking actually in about August 2019 about doing a piece of research into school business managers. Um, just as part of what we do anyway at the key in terms of market research, we, we like to find out particular challenges that people are dealing with uh, so we can help solve those challenges for them. We had planned quite an extensive piece of work which ran through the autumn term last year. And, and that was kind of a three-part process, really. We started off with some ethnographic research. It was fascinating. We went to visit three different primary schools across the country, and we spent time uh, working with or following um, those school business managers, um, sitting very close to them and looking intensively at what they were doing, conversations they were having, things they were struggling with, um, and how they were spending their day. It was a kind of day in the life um, scenario. And then what we learned from that, we then uh, put into some questions that we carried out with a further seven school business managers to kind of validate some of those findings and see how widespread they were. Uh, and actually it was a very common theme across all, uh, all of those interviews. And then finally, we ran a survey in December, 2019, which was filled in by I think it was about 1,500 uh, people, um, and and really told us it, at scale that we were seeing some similar challenges across the sector. And the idea was we were going to uh, publish those the, the findings for, for the survey um, in the spring term, and then of course COVID hit, so we paused and. Uh, 
and concentrated our efforts on supporting schools through COVID and intended to publish later on into the summer term. But as the, as the term wore on, we, we felt increasingly uncomfortable about putting this out there because we, we thought these things will have, will have changed considerably. So we ran a second survey in July 2020, the end of term, uh, and that again was um, filled in by over 1,500 people. And we asked them different questions um, that particularly related to how they had uh, found uh, dealing with COVID-19, as well as some questions that we had previously asked them to kind of do a compare and contrast, you know, how was it before COVID and how was it after? And, uh, and yeah, we published the results of that uh, for the sector. Great. And, and can you elaborate on, on what your main findings were? Sure. So um, the big one for me was when we, when we surveyed in December 19, um, overtime came up as a big theme. These people were really overworked um, and we found 40% uh, were doing a day or more a week over and above their paid contractual hours. Um, and then 15% doing a day and a half or more over and above their paid contractual hours. So long, long days. And then when we surveyed in July, that figure, or those figures both jumped. So 52%, more than half, were working at least a day over and above their contracted hours. Uh, that was an increase of 30% from pre-COVID and 28% were working a day and a half or more than um, they, were, they were paid for. And that was a jump of 87%. So a huge um, change in, in those hours that were already pretty staggering. We also, sorry to finish, we also asked them specifically um, whether things had got better or worse and stayed the same. And 58% said things had got either worse or much worse. So we know um, this has had a, a big impact on their, their workload. Stephen, I'm sure that will come as no surprise uh, to you and, and what you've been hearing from your members. And I'm absolutely consistent with uh, with everything that we've been hearing from, from our uh, community. Um, I think, you know, there's, there is a bit of a, a schools wanting their cake and wanting to eat it. Uh, and, and, and I think that's, that's part of the cause of, of what we're seeing. So uh, in circumstances where schools have been put on uh, term time only contracts or possibly even part time. Uh, they, they possibly haven't been paid as generously as other SLT colleagues. Um, you know, come the hour, and certainly you know, COVID has shone a spotlight on this, um, those, those very school leaders, those very school uh, you know, trustees, governors, whoever is deciding on terms and conditions for school business leaders have expected an awful lot from school business leaders. And actually, you know, you think about the skill sets that a school business leader has as compared to a somebody who's trained uh, as a pedagogical professional. Um, business continuity, risk management, you know, all this kind of stuff is, is ingrained in, in practice. So it, it's no surprise that the sector has turned to school business leaders um, in, in their hour of need. Um, and I, I think the, you know, the, this, this situation with, uh, with long hours uh, it's part of it kind of part of the DNA of a school business leader. This is the sense of uh, wanting to do the right thing, uh, absolutely committed to school, sense of duty, almost stoic type, uh, you know, keep calm and carry on almost on a war footing. Um, 
and and possibly uh, school business leaders themselves haven't stopped and thought about their own well-being, but perhaps more importantly, uh, their um, uh, you know their correct line managers haven't paid attention to uh, the extra workload that's that, that fallen on, on their on their laps. So uh, a combination of all those things, uh, I think, has, has led us to to where we are. So and 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 the findings I think are absolutely consistent with uh, with those observations. And uh, you know, in education as a sector, people work to the job, not the clock. Um, but if somebody's contract, d- d- you know, doesn't actually accommodate the fact that they are working those late nights, those early mornings, and in that school business um, leader professional role, there isn't there isn't somebody that they can get support from. They can delegate tasks to. Um, a lot of a lot of issues. The buck really stops with them. Um, very very difficult to to do anything other than overwork and and not be paid for it. Really? Mm. Going to say, you know, what we heard a lot of from free text comments. We didn't poll on this, but we we found a lot of uh, our respondents had carried out this job from home, um, and partly that you know that could have been down to having their own childcare to manage. It might have been down to shielding themselves or somebody else. But I think you know it's it's possibly been even harder when they're not visible when they've been working from home in a you know at the kitchen table um, to kind of put for other people around them to actually see how much work they've been putting in we've heard from people that said they were working until dawn I mean you know we're, we're not talking about people working for Goldman Sachs um, straight out of university we're talking about uh, you know relatively um, you know average pay um, and so so the idea that people would be putting in a kind of an 18 hour shift uh, to keep a school going just is phenomenal to me uh, absolutely agree with uh, with what Nicola's saying there I think the other thing, the other layer to put maybe add to this, and I, I think it, it touched on in, in the report, is that um, uh, scale is, is, is a real factor here. So for smaller schools, uh, for, for maintained schools, smaller trusts, uh, it's been really difficult because there's nowhere else to turn. And I think this is the point. You know, people go not working alongside colleagues, so, so there's no visibility in terms of the workload that, that they're experiencing. But if they don't do it, it doesn't get done. If you're a medium-sized or large-sized mat and you've got a large central team, there's that level of resilience. You can you can you know you can spread the, the load across a group of of, uh, of leaders um, in a small primary school. That's just not possible. Um, so it, it just further exa- exacerbates the, the situation. Mm. Uh, one of our other findings related to that was this this thing around well-being and mental health. Uh, and 49% said the impact of COVID-19 on their mental health had either been negative or very negative. We didn't poll on that in um, December 2019, so we haven't got anything to directly compare it with. But generally, especially during those um, ethnographic um, studies we did, there was a really palpable sense of stress um, emanating from these these people who were just really under quite a lot of pressure just on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I, the days I visited them, on were not high pressure days they were regular days there was no census happening on those days or anything extraordinary it was just a, a normal day and the stress levels were incredibly high do you want to tell us about some of the the other findings uh there yeah i think uh one thing that was interesting to me um i mean we know that the kind of the fundamentals of the of, of the school business management job 
are really around finance, HR, and premises management. And when we surveyed in uh, December, we found that 29% um, of their time was spent doing none of those three things. It was you know, a whole host of other things, but, but the, the majority of the job is, is HR, premises, and finance. Um, and when we surveyed in, uh, in December, the split was um, was 46% of their time approximately was being spent on finances, uh, so nearly half, and then 28% on HR and 26% on premises management. And that really was backed up by some of the things they, they told us about their, their previous um, occupations prior to becoming a school business manager. So lots of people had worked in finance roles and banking, accountancy, etc. Um, and very few, only 15% had a background in operations, uh, which would include things like premises management. And a lot of the people in the interviews um, from last year talked about how hard it was managing somebody in a, in a site management kind of role when they personally hadn't had the experience or training in site management. So quite difficult and challenging to, to line manage somebody that talks a kind of different professional language to you um, and to feel that you're able to support them and also that maybe you're hearing what you need to hear from those people. Uh, anyhow, so we, we asked them in July how their, their time had been divided up uh, during uh, the summer term or since COVID. And actually that uh, 30, um, sorry, that 26% on premises had jumped. Um, so now it's, it's now 20, it's now 38%. Um, and finances had dropped dramatically from 46% of their time to 35%. Uh, we also found out that 65% said uh, what had taken up their time of a, of a list of 13 things, 65% put health and safety in that. So what we've got here is a group of people who are predominantly finance trained, already struggling with premises management, suddenly finding that that is their kind of their new role. Um, and it's not premises management in normal times. They were doing uh, you know, taking buildings that were absolutely not um, fit for that kind of level of flexibility required of them and having to shoehorn those buildings into uh, new government guidance on how they should be managed. Everything from socially, you know, social distancing to um, setting up of, of bubbles and, and groups around the school in a, in a building that wasn't ever really built for that. Yeah, and, you know, linking that to your previous point there about stress, mental health, uh, people being asked to have mastery over over things that they, they don't necessarily have the training and the background and the constant change. And, you know, we were all becoming experts in hand sanitizers and everything, you know, just very, very new things. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, on that Stephen? Yeah. Again, I mean, I think this is this is one of the challenges, isn't it? So we've, you know, we've generally had uh, employed uh, school business managers in a in a small setting to be generalists, to be across a bit of everything. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I, I accept the comment that, that finance is probably uh, where the bulk of the effort goes in. But you know, um, again, I think I think the report alludes to it that that, that actually it's finance premises. HR, and then I think in early in the report it talks about 29% other. Um, uh, so we're expecting these individuals to, to be across a, a, a number of work strands. And and I'll go back to the comment that I made earlier about you know those those medium to large size trusts that have that that um, executive leadership resilience have central teams. They've got specialists within those central teams. 
it's much easier um, to, to turn your hand to uh, uh, the particular focus area. Um, and I think you know the, the, the system. I, I've talked for a long time about the flavours of leadership, uh, generalists, specialists, and executives. Uh, clearly, bigger structures can support that. Much more difficult in, in smaller uh, settings. So the shifting sands uh, created by COVID and this new focus, this new emphasis on premises and uh, fundamentally um, health and safety. Uh, and a very technical health and safety. So let, let's be clear, it's not just a, a quick run around with a, with a clipboard and doing some risk mm. assessments. This is, this is technical guidance. Um, and every bit of guidance that you come, come across, you'll will refer somewhere else. You've got to go deeper. Um, so first of all, you've got to digest it and then you've got to implement it. Um, and that takes enormous effort. Um, and as you've quite rightly uh, suggested, these schools, are, are not designed to be flexible uh, in the way that we want them to be. Um, um, and certainly, you know, that whole repurposing effort early on in the pandemic, and now reopening with all sorts of new restrictions is, is a huge task. Mm. I think, you're, yeah, I think the point you just made about, um, you know, actually the implementation of the health and safety, one thing came up in the comments which was that a lot of them were doing that role remotely. So it was, it was already a difficult <laughs> job to try doing premises management when you live 10 miles away from the school and you're not allowed in. Um, you know, an impossible task. I don't know how they, I don't know how they got through it. Um, and another thing to respond to what you said about multi-academy trusts, um, in another question, uh, we asked about uh, the adequacy of the guidance that uh, they'd had from the DFP from their local authority and also from their multi-academy trust central team if they were in one and actually of the of the of the SBMs that were in a multi-academy trust 36 percent uh, rated that support as outstanding i mean that was that was much much higher than those um rating dfe and la support and i think there's a lot in what you've just said about you know you've got these specialists employed by the central team who were who were there ready and able to hand out that advice and guidance and and, and bend it to the kind of local scenario mm. in a way that, you know, the DFE could never do that and the local authority could never do that. But these these bigger structures are much more able to employ specialists. And, and that's, I think, been really, really felt by those, those people on the ground. Mm. Absolutely. And do you want to, to move on to another area there of your finding? Uh, yeah, we asked them, um, we asked, our participants, uh, what was their top, what were their top challenges personally, so not as a school, but for them personally. Um, and so 56%, they're allowed to pick up to three of 13 option, options. 56% said health and safety, which is what we've just been talking about. 51% said um, reviewing government guidance. And this came up again and again, um, that they were reviewing guidance that was uh, in some cases not very practical, or that was very or overly long, that was changing and perhaps contradictory, um, and also that didn't highlight uh, changes from the previous guidance, so that they'd have to read through reams and reams of, of guidance um, to get somewhere in there to what had changed since they last read the guidance a week previously. Um, and we know that that was a big, uh, a big challenge for them personally, uh, particularly when it related to implementing risk assessments, uh, et cetera. Um, and then 38%, our third uh, 
third on the list, um, said that their biggest personal challenge was dealing with free school meals vouchers through the Eden Red website. That probably won't come as a surprise because it got a lot of press coverage. Um, but when we heard some of these individual stories, people were logging on at midnight to find, to, to act as the only time they could get in because the, the website was just being overloaded. Um, and I think asking people to set an alarm for midnight to, uh, to, to log in, to, to just to feed the nation's vulnerable children is just uh, something that we really don't need to, we need them to experience again. And this must get sorted if we, if we have this, uh, if we have further lockdowns and it's called to, to use a website like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we we need to not forget that that whole whole debacle because, as you say, it it was something just unprecedented amounts of time that people were spending at a very very stressful point, feeling like they're the first you know the first and last and only line of defence around getting these children food. Um, you know, incredibly incredibly stressful. Um, and it did take um, longer than it should have done to 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 sort that out. Um, Stephen, I'm sure you had plenty yeah. of conversations um, about oh, it. Heavens, I mean, quite uh, quite rightly, it was you know it was the the only talking point for for, for weeks really. Every time I uh, was speaking to regional leaders or or involved in podcasts or whatever else, it was you know Eden Red, the free school meal fiasco, and, and so forth. But again, that that to me is, is just a symptom of the way that things were were, were dealt with, um, a very uh, command and control approach rather than a consultation with the, the sector. The sector would have found a solution very quickly, would have found workarounds, and if the guidance had been a little bit more flexible in terms of Eden Red as well. So if it was clear that you could go elsewhere very early on um, and use you know use your own scheme and claim back, uh, then we could have avoided a lot of a lot of pain so there's something there around uh communication and the trust that was placed in the sector and, and i think you know there's there some important lessons learned and we as sector leaders we fed that back loud and clear to to officials um i i do agree that the the guidance and the way that it's come out um has been very difficult to to digest um there's enormous amounts of cross-referencing um which makes it very difficult um if if the government were inclined to, uh, to to present broader guidance with parameters rather than very prescriptive guidance, I think school leaders would have welcomed that as well. So, uh, and and the other thing to maybe add to that is that there's the accountability stakes are not well known, are not clear. So people are are very fearful about um, departing from the prescriptive guidance in case there's a lawsuit uh, 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 on them. So you add all that up and you can see how how it's really, well, it's really time consuming, it's very labor intensive, it's really difficult to know whether you're doing the right thing for doing the wrong thing or whatever the way around that, that phrase mm -hmm. is. Um, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I get it. Yeah. And it's the first time people, I mean, I know everybody was doing these things for the first time, but. You know, this is a sector that relies heavily on peers. Um, that's one thing I found, particularly when I was um, in schools, in school business managers' offices. Um, they all have, you know, they, they laughed about it, but, you know, they have their kind of uh, their, their network on speed dial. You know, they have their, 
they had their friends that they would, you know, their, their, their numbers were in their phone and they would constantly be WhatsApping and texting them to, to check in on things. Um, but people were doing this all for the first time. There was that, there was not that network of people that, you know, kind of um, more experienced people that you could call on to say, well, how do you do this? And, and I know that this is how school business managers work. You know, they are very well networked people and they're constantly leaning on each other and supporting each other. Um, and that just wasn't there because this was all uh, happening for the first time, which must have, which, you know, contributes to, to the issue, I think. Yeah, and I think it is very, um, it's very challenging because, you know, we we had some good conversations with school business leaders on the, on the podcast about, you know, actually people on the ground know the right thing to do. As we've said, these, you know, it cases at individual schools is all very different and, and, you know, people do know what they're doing. But at the same time, there is this concern of, but there's been a new round of guidance, something's changed. What if, you know something happens or something goes wrong where you know who's culpable and 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 it does just lead to an an inordinate amount of stress and you know going off in a million different directions to make sure you you've done everything um and and it's quite hard to to sort of stand firm and go no no no, i actually do know what's best for my school in the throes of all of that and you know social media the news media all of these things you know hyping up um, you know, what do parents think? Do teachers want to come in? You know, all, all, all these things really, really challenging for people in these roles. Um, and you, you mentioned, Nicola, the, the peer-to-peer support. And one of your findings was actually that had, that had gone down during the, 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 the mm. COVID period, wasn't it? Yeah. In, in uh, December 2019, we found uh, only 8% said they had no support from their peers. And actually, when you speak to some of these people, it's because they're, you know, brand new and they've been started, you know, mm. months before. Um, but that had dropped to, tw- sorry, that had risen from 8% getting no support to 22% getting no support. And obviously things like, you know, face-to-face meetings and network meetings and uh, opportunities to go to conferences, obviously all of those things um, had inevitably fallen off. Uh, but things, even things like um, phone calls and emails, um, even those things had, had dropped. And I'm not sure why that is. I think it's possibly because everyone was just so busy um, they couldn't put their heads above the parapet to, to help anybody else. Um, but there were small increases in activity around things like LinkedIn or uh, Facebook and WhatsApp and Twitter. Um, I think those mediums and channels have kind of come into their own a bit during this time. And people have, have been more reliant on those than they would have. But generally, you know, this kind of network support has 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 really kind of uh, dropped off in this period, which I think has, has been a real issue. Stephen, have you got any insights around that? Yeah, I think that I think all, all, all of that is is absolutely right. Um, we obviously we we haven't been able to bring the the, the profession together face to face for quite some time, and that's regional groups, it's us, it's other stakeholder organisations. Um, and and I think absolutely right that that you know when 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 you're under the kind of pressure that people have been under, uh, the, the time to, to, to pause, to start and to consult is, is limited. Um, uh, it, it, it's interesting. And in fact, I thought there'd been a, a, a higher increase in social media activity than the, than the survey suggests, which is, which is quite interesting. The, the trouble with social media is uh, there are some quite vocal individuals and, and sometimes you, you look at social media and you think there's a lot of activity but actually it's not there's a lot of activity there's a lot of noise coming from a limited few um but there is there is certainly a a core of school business leaders that have found comfort 
uh, certainly on Twitter, um, uh, limited as that as that group might be, they, they they certainly interact regularly and they've been sharing guidance and supporting each other, uh, you know, in, in the margins of their of their jobs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think what what Nick is suggesting is absolutely right that that, that maybe is one of the areas where we've seen uh, a, bit, a bit more a bit more activity. And and I, I think what we're you know sort of creating here is is a suggestion that. Um, through this period a lot of school business leaders kind of a bit isolated working um working potentially from from home not as connected to their peers but there was some some good good news really if you if you think about it that way in your in your findings about other people understanding a little bit more about their their roles Mm. should we have a chat about that yeah i mean this is going around being in schools and working with or observing school business managers is so interesting i um i have this I, i've talked about this before and it, it amuses people but it doesn't think there's a bigger point here i i literally stuck to their sides for this piece of work i didn't you know i didn't let them out of my sights um apart from you know the very first one i did uh the the fbm i was with said i'm, I'm just popping off to the loo um i'll be back in a couple of minutes and Something like 25 minutes later, she emerged back in, into her office. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to make any assumptions about where she'd been for 25 minutes. But she said, "I'm really sorry. You know, I, I, I don't think she'd even made it to the loo. I think she'd been uh, literally intercepted on the way there by so many things, um, and lots of them. I think you could probably argue had nothing to do with her job. Um, you know, it would be. Oh, I've just noticed." That the uh, the hand dryer in the in the ladies' loos has uh, has broken. Can you can you sort it out? Well, you know, technically, that would probably be a site manager conversation. But you know, she intercepts it and writes it down on a post-it note and and carries on on her journey to the loo. And then somebody else comes in and then her child is sick. Uh, you know, and and these things just you know just because she's. I think one of the things is with school business managers is that they are you know they're the, the one of very few people in schools that are not in the classroom. Uh, or in the staff room, they are sort of wandering around the school very frequently, and it does mean that they just intercept the challenges, whether they want to or not. Um, so I did learn a lesson there, which was to follow my SPMs to the toilet door <laughs> and wait outside for them. Because so all the really interesting thing, all the really interesting ha- things happen when they're on these journeys. Um, but yeah, I think what it pointed to was, um, and, and what they said to me was that very few people in schools, particularly from you know, amongst the teachers, less amongst the leaders, kind of understand their role. You know, they, they think they are the person that you go to when you need a plaster, and it's outside of playtime, and there's no um, no first aider on hand, and you know, and, and they're constantly interrupted. You know, I feel very sorry for those that are, you know, their offices are right next to the reception area and. You know, every time a parent has an issue, it's them that's dealing with it rather than the admin uh, function. Um, but yeah, so back in back in 2019, 46% said uh, they felt that um, their their colleagues understood their role only a little or not at all, and that had reduced slightly to 32%. I think the SBM role has kind of come into its own a bit during this period. They have been front and centre, um, and the staff have been having to to go through them. They've been you know, responsible for uh, messaging around protocols for staff, um, making sure they understand protocols around health and safety. And they've been a bit more kind of face-to-face with them or, you know, perhaps virtually face-to-face. And I think this is a great thing um, for SBMs in that there's been more light shone on the the amazing work that they do 
for their for their colleagues to, to perhaps empathise with, and hopefully they'll get fewer interruptions for classrooms in the future. Yeah, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because you know, school schools are there for teaching and learning purposes, which you know all happens in a very much in the mind uh, of children and from teachers, and they sort of forget that it all happens in a very human kind of structure human resources people doing things and physical things that break and thing and blah, 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 blah. and it, it's sort of like people just their brains go a bit well oh, i don't know what to do with this give it give it to this person <laughs> um yeah the biggest the bigger schools i was in um were saying you know a lot of their time they had they did have quite big support teams perhaps you know maybe two or three four admin assistants working with more finance managers and they were a, they were spending a lot of their time taking requests from people around the school and then just delegating them to mm. people in their team um, because the rest of the school didn't know who to talk to. They didn't understand who does the remittances and what have you. But if it, if it went through the school business manager and then they were able to pass it on, but still an awful lot of their time just yeah. delegating. They become a really sort of overpaid assistant to the rest of their team, passing all the things yeah. on to them. Does, you... does that resonate with you, Stephen? Yeah. No, 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 it, it, ab- absolutely. And, and, I mean, I think there's a, there's a few things that have, that have come out of this. Uh, so, I think one of the positives is uh, greater professional respect, certainly more of an appreciation for for what the school business leader does, uh, and perhaps doesn't do. Perhaps more importantly, I think pedagogical leaders have been forced to consult with uh, school business professionals in a way that perhaps they that they weren't in the past. So it was quite easy to delegate a task of you know managing the budget creating uh the the forecast or whatever whatever the key responsibility was and uh, and not really have to engage very deeply as a pedagogical leader but when you're reopening schools you can't avoid uh bringing the school business leader you know front and center in terms of the conversation about how we're going to do this logistically how's it going to work how are we going to reconfigure uh the, the main hall and turn it into three classrooms how are we going to you know how we're going to ensure there's a flow of traffic around the school, which which you know respects social distancing and so on and so on. So there is there has been evidence for quite some time, uh, both through surveys that the institute have conducted and and through work that you've done, that suggests that school business leaders, a percentage of school business leaders, are not involved in SLT conversations and certainly not uh, regular attendance uh, in regular attendance at SLT meetings. There is absolutely no way school business leaders could be excluded from SLT conversations during this last 20 odd weeks. Um, and I think that's that, that that's a shift and hopefully one that, that, that will remain. Um, so, yeah, just in summary, uh, greater professional respect, greater appreciation for the uh, for the very unique skills and experience that school business leaders bring to the table and uh, a more joined up conversation, we hope. Uh, as a consequence of, of, of the last 20 odd weeks. And yeah. obviously the, the, the area that people traditionally associate with, with the school and business leader, the budget. Um, what, what findings do you have for us there, Nicola? Well, um, sad situation, really. I mean, when we spoke to them in December 2019, we asked them through the survey um, to rate their biggest challenge um, of a list from a list of 12 and unsurprisingly budget or managing the budget came out as the top challenge we weren't surprised by that and we know from the from our interviews with them that that was nothing to do with their competency in managing the budget you know we had 
um, over, well over a third either had a professional accountancy qualification or were working towards one. We know that uh, the majority come from a finance background. So it's not to do with the, the, the physical aspect of managing it. It was to do with having to do more with less and just not being enough money to do what they needed. Um, so that was their biggest challenge. Um, and that was a backdrop. We asked them in July 2020 um, to what extent they agreed with um, the fact that they had, had uh, enough or adequate budget to cover the costs associated with the impact of COVID. And 57% say they disagree or strongly disagree that the budget is adequate, um, which is massive, you know, well over half. And that relates to everything from hygiene supplies, people were talking about having to purchase lidded bins and things like that, or putting in new sinks. Um, the additional cleaning costs in terms of you know, the regularity of cleaning, but also the depth of cleaning and the, and the materials. Additional stationery came up, um, you know, having to have individual pairs of scissors and uh, sets of pens and felt tips and whiteboards you know, that per child. You know, that's a huge increase in, um, in budget requirements. And then the other thing that came up uh, was around loss of income. So people talking about the income, somebody talked, somebody said they, they were getting usually £40,000 a year income from their clubs um, and uh, also sorry, from after school care and wraparound care and something like £12,000 from their enrichment clubs and then a lot more money from um, through PTA fundraising. And all of that has gone. Um, and so it's not just about the additional things they've got to spend their, their budget on, but the massive loss in income that they would ordinarily have had, that which, which might have supported some of those additional costs. Real, real double whammy there, Stephen. What are your thoughts? Well, so, so we, we, I mean, absolutely consistent with the uh, with the findings of a recent survey that we conducted. So we we, we spoke to, um, you know, I think it was a sample of close to six hundred. Uh, uh, school business leaders, SDs, uh, CFOs, and so forth, uh, and uh, you know, almost without exception, the costs exceeded any reclaimable um, uh, funds. So, uh, and and you know, that that was that was when you when you look at the funding that was announced uh, for those three areas: preschool meals, premises, and cleaning. Um, during the peak. These costs are ongoing. They're, they're not. They're not going away. If anything, they are. They are increasing. Um, so yeah, everything that we're talking about today, uh, uh, you need to set with the backdrop of you know, a really tight fiscal environment. So increased cost pressures all around. And now, of course, increased uh, costs for, for teaching staff as well. So well, adding uh, to that mix, yeah. Quite right. Quite quite, quite right. And and, and uh, you know, almost an inevitable. Uh, increasing supply, um, you know, level, levels of absence uh, are going to be something that schools are going to have to manage. You know, if people are infected, even if even if they're not they're not critically ill, they're going to be away from uh, school for a prolonged period, you know, fourteen days, as a minimum, um, and someone needs to backfill. So, you know, the the, the costs uh, associated with this are going to be significant and uh, uh, longer term than I think officials maybe originally anticipated. Uh, and the challenges around actually planning um, in this context where um, 
you know, it can seem a little bit bottomless. How how long will this situation go on for? How how many bits of PPE or, or things do you need to to purchase? Um, all of these things are quite are quite difficult to know at this point. And then you know, if you how do you know what any savings that you can make in other areas? And and to your point, Nicola, when can you start to generate revenue again? Um, unknown at this stage really um so very difficult to this to, to sort of um concede to this notion of, of balancing a budget or, or or planning even um mm. with, with with the kind of um, the, the long-term ramifications of this we'll be living with for a really long time and i think i think that i think that what we've got to be careful of is that we don't uh, we don't use uh what's what's gone before as the reference point i think that's a danger so so if you're if you're working out the funding formula for the future, um, I don't think we can go back to March and think that's adequate because you know, this is not a sticking plaster that's required. This is a long-term strategy. So, so what is it going to cost to run our education system um, during a you know during a, a pandemic which may last? Who knows? Mm. Um, but you know, we're we're we I, I don't think anybody expects us to be completely out of the woods by by this time next year. So there's a year for a start we're going to be planning for. Um, I think I think in addition to that, you know, there are many schools around the country whose buildings are just not fit for purpose stroke the future if that if that is our new our new normal. Um, I mean I was I, I've been right. I've visited many kind of Victorian uh, beautiful buildings, but you know, older schools, um, particularly in rural areas. And I and I really struggle to think how they will cope with some of these changes. Um, there was a, an interesting um, article recently on, on Schools Week talking about, you know, first day back and, and how it's all gone. Um, and at a, a C, I don't know, a CEO or a head of a, of, a, of a secondary school saying one thing that he's really glad they implemented recently in their kind of new build school was um, was sensors on the toilet so that, you know, there was no no handle on the, on the, on the mm. toilet flush. It was all done through sensors in a kind of very modern airport style way now brilliant if you've got a brand new building and you're designing that from scratch um, and you can build these things into your plans um, but you know there's, there's going to be many thousands of schools for whom that is just completely impossible um, without you know they're better off knocking that school down and starting again it's, it's just going to place unimaginable burdens on them if we expect there to be kind of um, a, a level of, of health and safety you know for which is going to be our new normal um, about the findings from this research, but um, what kind of recommendations and suggestions do you both have for for the future? Um, what can we do about some of these these things that we've um, found out? So the key is not a uh, campaigning organisation, as we know, um, but we have it's, it's so clear and obvious from this piece of work that there are some simple things that various stakeholders can implement um, that we've laid them out. Um, so for school leadership teams and, and governing boards, governing bodies, we feel that reviewing the pay conditions and resourcing of school business managers is uh, an imperative, looking back over hours that have been worked during uh, the spring and summer terms um, and taking that into consideration when, um, when going through appraisals and review processes um, for school business managers going forward. Um, we also feel that uh, well-being needs to be higher up the agenda for school business managers and their teams. It's quite often um, associated with teaching staff 
but we need to look closely at the mental health of teachers. And I think school business managers are, are sometimes forgotten about. So we would urge uh, SLTs to, um, to bring some focus to that on any surveys they're doing with um, across their staff. Um, and then for the government, um, we feel that just writing uh, their guidance in a more practical way would be really supportive for the FPMs that have to actually read that advice, as well as heads and, and, and other school leaders. Having a longer lead in time um, between advice and guidance coming out and the expectation of having to implement it would be helpful. And, and clearly some improvements to the Eden Red experience or any alternative experience we're, being, uh, we're asking uh, schools to go through would help. With local authorities and multi-academy trusts, we feel it's, uh, it would be fairer if there was some flexibility uh, given to, to budgets this year, particularly around that point of loss of income and increasing cost. Um, and for some kind of um, some kind of period of grace to be given to some of these schools for whom you know previously they were um, producing a balanced budget and that, that is completely in jeopardy through no fault of their own. And then finally, for um, organisations like the Institute of School Business Leadership and, and training providers out there, um, just it just came through strongly throughout the year actually that um, a need for more training on premises or managing premises staff would be really helpful um, and uh, you know perhaps support particularly in, the, in how those buildings can get adapted um, and then finally I know that I know that ISBL do this already they already have a great network of, of, of FBM kind of champions and local regional leaders um, but perhaps to kind of think about which FBMs have done this really well um, where the success stories have been and where others can learn from them specifically around how they've dealt with um, things like narrow corridors and um, social distancing or all these kind of all these kind of mundane um, practical tasks that they've had to deal with that are causing massive headaches. Anybody that um, can be surfaced to say this is how we did it and, and what the impact was, I think would be would be really helpful for the sector. Great stuff. And uh, Stephen, any any reflections you have on Nicola's recommendations from the report or anything that you'd like to add there? I think they're, they're all they're all very sensible uh, uh, recommendations, um, specifically in terms of how professional bodies and training organisations do do better. There's a there's a few takeaways for me. I, I think um, I, I do think um, at uh, at an organisational level across the system, we need to identify any skills gaps, uh, and I think we should do that without apportioning blame or finger pointing. I just think we need to be very honest about the structures we have in place and the resilience that exists within our teams. Um, so I think if we if we have a, an honest conversation about uh, about the skills across uh, our SLT, so head teacher, deputy head, uh, school business leader, um, I think that that that's important. That we can then come in behind with um, with uh, training courses and development programs which support any skills gap that might exist. Uh, I think it needs to be a proper commitment to investing in ongoing professional development, the ongoing professional development themes. I don't think we can do it without proper investment. And I would urge government to be thinking carefully about how they how they uh, build resilience and capacity across the system. Um, in specifically in terms of uh, premises management, there are a number of uh, programs that we that we have available to school business leaders and after this call we can we can do some signposting. Um, more joined up leadership 
uh, and again, I've been talking about this for years, uh, pedagogy, business and governance working together, not in silos. Um, I think if we, if we, if that conversation is properly joined up, then I think outcomes uh, are, are better for the children, but also in the context of the pandemic, I think joined up leadership uh, results in, in, in again, more resilience and, and better decision-making. Um, in terms of advocacy and peer support, uh, uh, and, and, and I, 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 I think the, the the language of SBM champions is is uh, is, is is right. Um, there are a, num a number of channels, so you could argue that school resource management advisors, in their own way, are are champions of good practice. Um, they're now recognised as as national leaders, like NLEs and SLEs, regional leaders. Uh, you know, we've got forty seven affiliated groups. I think there are sixty odd regional groups established across the country, really, really good um, way of uh, well, both advocating for the profession, but also providing those networks that are so valuable at a local level. Uh, fellows of the Institute, we make those available to, to anybody that wants support. Um, and then finally, I, I, just, I, I just think it's important to say that we've used the language, we, um, the global we, the sector, <laughs> ministers and, and, and so forth, of, have congratulated teachers for the enormous contribution they've made to the national effort, uh, and and I think uh, I, I think it's inadvertent. It's it's almost like saying, well, we thank the police, we thank the army, we thank doctors, we thank teachers, but for those who have been working as hard as school business professionals have, it feels like they're getting left behind and forgotten. So my what I'm urging sector leaders and government to, to use is, is different language that says uh, we congratulate, we applaud, we are so grateful for the uh, contribution that education professionals have made to the national effort. So we don't leave anybody behind. So true. I mean, I am so fortunate to do the job that I do, meet people all across the sector, but the people uh, often the most committed um, individuals, you know, are, are in those roles where they're kind of invisible, everybody just relying that they'll be there, they'll get this sorted, they'll get that sorted. And I, you know, without me even asking for things, they will be doing the preparation and planning. They're the real heart of so many schools. And it is a shame, especially when their role has been so vital you know they won't people wouldn't have been able to go into school move in a school do this that or the other without without some input from that person some some further guidance from them you know so crucial at this point if we if we forget if we forget them then we're really we're really doing something very wrong and i think of the school uh, business leader at my own school where i'm a governor absolutely just gone above and beyond um during during the covid period we all expected so much of her and she always delivered. Um, so yeah, it's it, it would be it would be good if those people could feel feel that recognition on a more mm. regular basis. And I hope that um, some of the issues that we've highlighted in, in this report and some of the conversations that we that we have um, on the back of it will will contribute there. Anything either of you would like to say in uh, in closing to our listeners? I just want to echo what you both just said about giving massive praise where it's due to this group of professionals. Um, you know, they have been a massive cog in the wheel of getting schools back on track. 
the teaching um, has been largely done online um, and remotely for you know the best part of a you know turbulent bit. And that teaching online would not have happened without the IT being in place. Now, who was, who was organising that? And in large part, the school business manager. You know, how are those children who were otherwise unable to get access to food getting fed via the school business manager? Um, so, you know, the staff members coming in and working safely and going through risk assessments to make sure that they were safe to be at work, largely all part of the school business manager's role. And I think we deserve to give them a, a massive collective clap for, um, that's not too cheesy, um, for really keeping things going in, in a crazy time. Um, and yeah, and I hope this report um, shines some light on their achievements and, um, and causes people to reflect on how vital their role is in, in, within a school leadership team. And Stephen? Uh, so um, I, I think, I think the, the analogy's uh, really, well, uh, really well made. Uh, cogs in an engine, uh, very big cogs in an engine, I would argue. Uh, any, you remove, remove any cog from an engine and it will fail. Um, and so when we're handing out uh, praise and, and congratulations and, and, and thanks, then it needs to be to all those who, who've been, you know, part of the, uh, part of the, the success story uh, in unprecedented and very difficult, difficult times. And finally, I'd just like to say from an institute perspective, uh, we thank you for uh, the work that you've done, Nikki, um, in producing this report. Uh, really welcome the findings. Uh, I, I think it, it's, it, it's a very honest uh, reflection um, and, and maybe will lead to some uncomfortable conversations with some of our, um, uh, some other education stakeholders and, and leaders within schools. But those conversations are important. Um, so, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to be part of, uh, of, of this conversation. Thank you. Great stuff. And, you know, I think it is um, a really interesting point to make that school, school business uh, professionals will probably read this report and say, yeah, I know that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've kind of been tell people about this. But we really hope that um, those people who line manage them or, or other members of the leadership team and the school sector um, read it and, and understand a little bit more about what goes on um, for their, their colleagues. So thank you very much, Stephen, and um, to the Institute for, for supporting supporting us with this. And um, thank you, Nicola, for, for your for your um, insights and analysis and thank you very much for listening key voices is produced by the key giving education leaders the knowledge to act members of the key for school leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com and please tell us what you think about the podcast rate review or subscribe email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions